Hello, and welcome to What We Brought Home with your hosts, Mike Izzo and Pat McGinty. We invite military veterans to anonymously share their stories of war and service, specifically the stories that they hide from the world. The stories featured on this podcast often include sensitive topics like death and violence that might be triggering for some. At times, you might even hear us or our guests laugh at situations that are actually quite serious. Like other jobs that involve life or death situations, grim and ironic humor is often a way to cope. Listener discretion is advised. Also at times, you may notice breaks in the audio. We take anonymity very seriously and we edit stories to protect the identities of the storyteller and others involved. Finally, if what you hear in this episode reminds you of one of your own experiences and you want to share your story, let us know. If it's something from your time in service that you often think about, but rarely talk about, you're not alone. We're here to listen with no judgment. All stories are shared anonymously. Go ahead and visit our website, whatwebroughthome.com, to learn more. All right, everyone. uh, Welcome again to What We Brought Home. Uh, we are here with our next guest, and as always, I'm going to shut up and let them tell their story. So, without further ado, uh, take it away. All right. First of all, uh, thanks for having me, guys. I've been had the honor of, of listening to you know a few stories on the podcast so far, and uh, been super impressed by how open and honest and raw they were. And uh, you guys have done a great job, uh, and, and I just appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, great to have me on, on the, on the call. Um, I think for me, um, one of the things I was listening, when I was listening to those, you know, I was, you know, I don't really have, uh, a, uh, a particular story that keeps me up at night, though I used to have them more, um, that I, that I need to get off my chest, but I did feel like, you know, uh, you know, the, title of the podcast being, you know, what we brought home, uh, you know, there's, you know, for me, the experience, you know, uh, is not something I would trade for anything in the world. And I think a lot of other folks would, would might say the same thing. Um, uh, and I'll tell a little bit about who I am and, and what I'm saying in a second, but I, you know, hopefully through, through, you know, my stories and maybe you guys can help me along, we can get to that, that, you know, uh, it's this weird, uh, you know, paradox where, you, you know, you go through this, this time in your life that's very trying, um, and, and you have to make some really hard decisions as a really young person, uh, that other people don't necessarily have to. And then, and then you walk away from it and you go off to, you know, quote unquote, the real world, uh, which is kind of funny when, when you say it that way and you, you, you know, you look back on that time and, you know, I look back on it with, with a lot of, of gratitude that I got to, you know, experience that time in my life. Uh, so, you know, quick background on me. I, you know, I'm a third generation army officer, uh, infantry, and I went to West Point, uh, graduated, and uh, I guess for the sake of anonymity, uh, went to one of our great army divisions and uh, deployed to, to Iraq and specifically served there uh, before the surge um, and kind of the 
05 to to 07 time frame, um, which I think is important context because uh, that really kind of uh, was a very ambiguous time to be serving over there. We weren't quite sure what we were doing. And I don't know if we were, we've ever been quite sure what we're doing once we've determined that there were no weapons of mass destruction in the country. But that particular, as a country, we didn't know if we were leaving, if we were staying, what we we're going to do. There's a lot of debate on the political scene, which really actually creates a lot of turmoil for young leaders and soldiers who are trying to figure out what is the purpose behind all the things that we're doing in, in the country. And so I think that before I get into the actual deployment, you know, there's a couple really critical events that led up to deploying. And I think part of it for me, I was, I was very introspective before we went to combat and, and particularly before I joined the military, you know, I said I was third generation army officer. And so unlike most people, you know, you know, I did, I didn't have a lot of, I had pretty clear, you know, clear eyes into what it meant to be an army officer and even an army officer deployed overseas in, in, you know, different combat environments because, you know, my, my dad and his dad had, had served in combat and, and I really struggled with, you know, is this what I want to do with my life? Especially, you know, you know, when I was first at West Point was, you know, pre nine 11. And, you know, I was kind of interested in what else is there out there? And so I had a lot of introspection, like, is this the career I really want? Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about that and, and maybe more than the average, you know, West Point cadet, maybe less. I don't know. I don't know how people think about this stuff, but I remember in particular, there was a meeting, you know, there's an old Vietnam era colonel who's retired and he got up on stage during our, our intercession after uh, we came back from Christmas and he said, hey, you guys are going to have to make a choice if you want to be an army officer. Uh, because, you know, but before your junior year, if you leave the academy, you incur no commitment. You basically get two years of college for free and go pretty much transfer to any college in the country. It'll take you. And the decision is you guys want to make this a career. This is your choice. And I think that it's a kind of a unique moment that doesn't get a lot of press and certainly drove me to think, hey, this is my, you know, I, I've been kind of feeling these reservations about this profession. I kind of want to go out and figure out what real people do and do something else in the world. And I remember him saying, hey, this is actually a profession you're joining. You know, like other professions, uh, we have, you know, uh, you know, unique responsibilities that the society gives us. And, and with that, like, we have to be you know, very thoughtful about that and we have to hold ourselves accountable to it. And, you know, we talked about other professions like, you know, at that point in time, he was talking about the clergy or lawyers or doctors and and how they're given a unique responsibility in society and, and therefore have a certain code of ethics and a certain self-management. And the military said that the thing that sets us apart from all those other professions, and uh, I'll probably misquote him, but he said something that sort of, you know, we, you know, when the time comes, have to be willing to kill for our country and to die for our country and to ask other folks that work for us to do the same. And it's not like, when you're a police officer and you, you, you have a right to defend yourself, you are told to go kill somebody because your government has determined that person is bad or an enemy combatant. Um, and they could be armed or unarmed, um, depending on the circumstances. But if they're wearing the uniform of an enemy, then, then your job is to kill that person to, in order to win the war. Um, and 
the same sense, you need to be more than willing to put yourself at risk to get killed. Basically, I'm, I'm rambling on about the profession of, of arms, but I think this is really important because you're sitting here as a 19-year-old kid and, and you're, you're being told, you know, you're going to have to kill somebody because somebody else made a policy decision that says this person is bad. And that's a big moral weight to throw on uh, your shoulders. And, uh, and you also have to be willing to die for this. I mean, I was probably one of these guys that was closest to on the fence. There was planes flown into the World Trade Center. And the irony of that is I uh, had this moment of where I felt like purpose. Like I just felt overcome with like, okay, I made the right choice. I was meant to be here and do something about this. And I was never, I had so many reservations that washed away. Um, and I said, okay, well, this is, this is why I'm here. It's not to go be an army officer for five years, live at army posts and, and uh, go out in the field and get wet and, and miserable and train for nothing, you know, maybe get a deployment to the JRTC rotation in Louisiana. It, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a purpose here and we need to protect this great country of ours and, I just felt that in my, you know, wash over me and it, and it felt good. Fast forward, you know, that's probably the most clarity I've had <laughs> in my whole life. Like, I'm in the right place. <laughs> this is where I'm supposed to be. And then, you know, fast forward a few years, you know, go through, you know, graduate, do all the schools, show up. And I'm in my first unit, my, my platoon leader, I'm a platoon leader and we're about to go out the gate. We had the, you know, we've just finished a right seat, left seat ride. And I realized this is, this is it. This is a time leading a, a unit in combat. And that thought of, okay, are you ready to do the thing that you're, you know, that you had, you know, sworn to do. And with the current political environment, when we're about to head out there, it was literally the nightly news, uh, whether we should even be there and should we be doing troop withdrawals and, should we be, you know, pulling folks out of Iraq and what's the point and what's the purpose of this? Like the whole nation did not even like, it wasn't like the nation had clearly decided we should be there and there's a purpose. And I disagreed with it. It was like, we didn't even have a purpose. We were just deploying to Iraq. And I was hoping to find clarity when we got in the ground. And believe me, it was clear that there, there was, you know, there we're just occupying this country with a lot of different people, different opinions of, of how we should be progressing. And, and I was like, this is just like, you know, I, I would love to have that clarity of like, this is the right war. And it was not there. And I said, I'm gonna have to go kill people. And I'm gonna have to ask my guys to die. And there's so much ambiguity here. And it was one of those rare moments in my life, because I didn't grow up with a lot of religion in the house that I, you know, I said, this is, seems like something I, it's too big for me to handle. I'm gonna pray about it. And I, I said a prayer. And, you know, something to the sort of, you know, God, if I'm gonna die, let that be, you know, your will. And if, if, if for some reason, you know, I have to kill or we have to kill some people, you know, let that be, you know, through you and, and your right hand and your will as, as well. And I remember that being a very kind of, you know, it, it actually took took that burden off of me. I said, well, if I can't control this. And I gave it up. And people say you should do that all the time. But I actually, you know, went through that moment before we pulled the gate and we rolled out the gate and I had a lot of focus. And I said, well, you know, all right, let's get this done. Um, and then I, the, the veneer of cool guy got ripped off of us really fast because the first time out the gate, um, we rolled out into traffic and uh, my lead driver had been on a previous deployment. And apparently in his sector, when American or 
Humvees pulled onto a road, all the Iraqis would pull off to the side of the road and park because they'd all been kind of trained. Okay, let the Americans go by and pulls out into the road. He's driving on the road and there's a car that doesn't pull out of the way. And, you know, he just goes, oh, it's go time. And he rolls up and he rams the side of the car (laughs) to knock it off the side of the road because he perceived a threat. And we got to get through. We got a mission to do. And and of course, it's this little. You know, I don't know what brand of car it was, but this little sedan and it just kind of crumbles and it goes to the side. It's completely destroyed. And we stop and pull over. I'm like, whoa, whoa hold on, pull over and uh, look inside. And the soldier gets out, too. And there's this family, a mom and a dad and it seemed like another person in the back holding a baby and like three kids in the back smushed in and everybody's crying. All the kids are crying. And we look around and we check everybody's okay, but, you know, we basically just destroyed their family's primary asset, probably. And, you know, we have a mission to do. And our recourse is to take this little unlaminated card out of our pocket and write your name, like write their unit on it and hand it to them and say, go take us to the building over there. And then you'll get, maybe you'll get reimbursed, <laughs> you know, and, and we don't have a translator or anything. So we hand them this, this, this card <laughs> and i'm just like oh man we're not cool we're just a bunch of assholes that don't know what we're doing <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh uh and that and i and i think that was actually helpful it's like a good punch in the face of like guys let's be careful here like this is that that did not feel good that that sucks and we don't that's not why we're here i know we're it's not clear on what we're doing here but it certainly isn't that um, and there were some good moments in the deployment where we helped facilitate the elections. And I, I'm kind of focused on that when I, when I, when I talk about the good that we did, my, my son asked me that one time, he said, you know, what, you know tell me about the war. And I'm just thinking, you know, what can I tell this little guy about, about, you know, about the war that it's positive, you know, I want to have you know, that, that positive impact and that, you know, supporting the election is one of those things. We also had moments, you know, where, you know, you're going into people's houses and I think that other folks on the podcast, you know, Patty, I think you talked about this and you're rummaging through their crap in the middle of the night and scaring them and looking for arms and pulling their, 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 you know, family members out and talking to them separately. And you know, this is just par for the course. And we did a lot of good stuff. I mean, we, we uncovered a major weapons cache. We rolled up a couple of cells of, of folks that were putting IEDs in. And basically, because we were, you know, aggressively going out and searching people's homes. And I remember one of the first patrols that we were on, we were rolling down the road and my platoon sergeant who had a deployment or two under his belt, former Marine, calls a halt to the convoy, opens up his passenger door of his car and runs out and tackles a guy. And I'm like, what are you doing to this guy? And he said, this guy's up on a berm on a cell phone just watching us. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I mean, if you were driving down the road and you know, in any other place in the U.S. and some guys on a cell phone what happens to be looking at you, you wouldn't think to run out and jump and tackle the guy. And I thought it was a little insane, but then we took that guy to his house and we found a bunch of weapons there and, you know, who knows if the guy was bad or not, so then we detained him. And we detained a lot, a lot of folks. And at some point in time, uh, we rolled down that same road and we found an ID that was half and I, basically, I tripped over the thing because we stopped. We saw something in there, and I walked over, and it was an unplugged pressure plate. So they've just about gotten the pressure plate in. And I about stepped on it. And 
I looked up and my squad leader pulls this little nine-year-old off of the berm who'd been sitting out obviously as a sentry and the guys putting in the bomb had, you know, the ID had seen us and run off and left this poor kid. And so he grabs this guy and we pull him in and we're trying to figure out like, what do you do with a nine-year-old who's a sentry on an ID, you know, like they clearly is a combat, like in the traditional sense, he is being employed by this, this hostile force to provide, you know, to, to directly aid and assist them trying to put a bomb in to kill us, right? And it was clear that's what he was doing. He was just sitting there and the people that put in the bomb had fled and run, run. We couldn't see him. We found the bomb half installed. We found this kid. We go across the street and to a, you know, a house where a you know, local shake lived and it was across a canal of the street. So it was like this little canal on one side of the, the road, a berm on the other side. And then the, the canal was full of like reeds. But if we went around the other side, there was a house on the other side of the reeds. And we kind of parked there, brought the kid in and said, hey, do you know who this kid is? And they were like, no, we don't know. And like, well, do you know who's putting in these bombs? Because they put one in right in front of your house. And, and the guy's like, no, we don't know anything about that. And so then we had, you know, we hung out with those guys while EOD came up. And, you know, we're kind of locked in place until EOD. And then we're going to go figure out where to take this kid. And the, you know, the explosive ordnance disposal unit shows up. And basically what they do is they just put, put a bunch of C4 around the, the, the ID and then they would blow it up in place because it's too dangerous to try to like disassemble this bomb or move it. And my platoon sergeant uh, may or may not have said, hey, it would be helpful to us if you put a little bit of extra C4 on, on this bomb um and and make a big show of it so that these people in this house can understand that there's a bomb in front of their house and the guy's like oh yeah sure so i don't know if this is actually true but he seems to think they put more extra c4 on it blows the bomb off and we're in the back of this guy's house and it basically takes off like the first wall of the guy's house it's that big of an explosion knocks out all the windows and and the guy comes out and says you know what you guys mean business and i don't like those guys Come back tonight and I'll take you where all the people are to put the bombs in the road. So here we are blowing up half a guy's house and we get this guy the first time who's like, I will take you to who did this tonight and just come back by. We'll go do it. And so uh, that night we launched a patrol. The thing was, like this kid, uh, I was trying to think, like, what, what did we do? You know, people asked, like, we literally were like don't do it again. And we like, just let him, <laughs> you know, like, what are you going to do with the nine-year-old <laughs> yeah, kid? Like, yeah. uh, in retrospect, I guess we could have gone right. to his parents' house and talked to him. We had other things to do and we knew we weren't going to get anywhere with that. So we just like, all right, just, you know, don't do it again, you know? And I, I'm sure these like, oh man, the Americans will do it. You know, they were mean to me. I don't know what he thought about that situation. It's an interesting book to write right there. But anyway, so we, we ran, we ended up rolling up this, Cell uh, that night, and we get like five military age men that are in this random house, and then they helped us roll up. Eventually, one of those guys flipped, uh, and this leads to my biggest regret of the deployment. I hadn't thought about this stuff in a while, and it's not a bad regret, more like the regret of like I had the opportunity to score the touchdown, and I and I fumbled the the, the ball or I dropped the pass, like the kind of things that keep you up as a, as an athlete or you know later in your life. The guy that flipped you know, told, you know, the interrogator, whoever at, at, at our base, like, hey, I want to tell you where the, the main guy is. Do you, you know, I'm, 
I've, I've decided that this is bad, and I'm going to tell you where the main guy is. And I'll take you to his house. He couldn't read a map. So we were just like, just point on the map. Just show us where it is. We'll go to the house. Like, And he couldn't read the map. It was just like looking at a Ford. Like he just had no idea. So he's like, give me an Humvee. We'll go drive by the house. I'll point it out. And so it was it was a different platoon's time to go. Uh, they said, you know, hey, you know, we want you on this mission. Hop on in to work with this guy to find this house. Your platoon is going to go do the hit tonight, but you need to get a drive by to get eyes on. So I'm in like somebody else's platoon. I kind of have a radio communications. I'm in the back of the truck sitting next to this guy. He's telling the translator, the translator's telling the driver what to do. And we're driving around these streets. And eventually we pull in literally to, to a driveway in like this house, like in a field. Like, it was clear that we're going to visit that house. And he's like, this is the house. And I'm like, we're supposed to just drive by now. Like we're supposed to like, <laughs> like come to them we're coming by the house no big deal here and we're like pulled up and the whole platoon parks in this guy's driveway because there's no way else and we're sitting there and i'm like well you know shit you know and i wish in my mind that i had said all right we're going and like jumped out but i didn't know if anybody would follow me because <laughs> it wasn't my platoon <laughs> and like i didn't have a lot of com- com- you know a lot of uh, confidence in that platoon because I yeah I hadn't worked with them before and and I I I was like all right we got to get out of here and pretend like this looks like we're just doing something else and like turn around and then as we pulled out came around and we went around some back roads and we ended up on the other side of this really big canal but we could see the house across the canal and I could see out the back like five military aged men like running across a field to get the heck out of there and I was like all right well that mission's done. And so we, we ended up going to the house that night and we did arrest a guy. Unfortunately, I don't think he was the guy. And we found some, you know, some, some materials buried in the yard that would be, you know, long range cordless telephones, which was like their biggest trigger device in our area at that point in time. And, you know, we, we arrested that guy, but I really felt like, oh man, that was our opportunity to really just crush this one little terrorist cell. And that felt really good. That's, that's out of a, you know, 300 something day deployment where you're going in and you're rummaging people's houses and you're arresting a bunch of folks and, and doing it with minimal evidence and, and seeing all the gray areas, you know, and understanding all the gray areas of like how I write up this report on this guy we picked up and color the situation is really going to affect whether they're, you know, put in detention for a long term or not. Right. Like there's so much judgment. And I just remember my clarity from that day sitting, you know, you know, went from like not a lot of clarity that post 9-11 clarity. And I remember my prayer had shifted and I would be sitting, you know, taking a shower or, or whatever it was. And you had a moment to kind of think about things and things would kind of wash over you and you just go, I, I remember being, it was just like the most mediocre prayer. I was like 51% good, 49% bad. That was like my, my <laughs> I just hope we're just doing a little bit more good than bad. Cause it was clear we we're doing some bad. <laughs> Sometimes not so clear we're doing good. You know, like who knows if the fact that we're there is the reason all these foreign fighters are flooding into Iraq. Like, and as a, you know, I was like, I was like, just let us be doing, just let every day we're doing a little bit more good than bad out here. Like that, you know, like, cause you can't always see it. Right. Like that's just, if I can get on the right side of the the, the ledger here, yeah. that is all I can ask for. And that was more comforting than, than trying to delude myself into thinking that we we're having a massive positive impact, especially because of the political background of where we were. Um, and I haven't thought about that in a long time of the mm-hmm. 
51% good and 49% bad, but I would say that probably every couple hours <laughs> to myself for a long time, <laughs> uh, even yeah. afterwards. That was that was the, the, the mantra there, like, um, in those moments. And all you were left with was, well, I know this is an impossible task. There's no clear purpose for us being here. Just hope that we're doing more good than bad. And along the way there, we, you know, a lot of people died. I remember when I left my platoon and became executive officer, I, I had to do an award ceremony for Purple Hearts. And I, 70% of the company had gotten wounded by that point in time in deployment. We're four or five months in. And it was like I was hoarse from calling out all the awards for, for these Purple Heart awardees. A bunch of folks had gotten bronze stars and V devices. And, you know, there'd already been 10, 10 casualties within that, that, that company. 10 guys had gotten killed. And that's a lot to bear for, you know, hopeful that we do some good uh, and a lot on the shoulders of those folks. Though it, there are some other good things that have happened in Iraq and, and it's not all for loss and, and people that are, you know, interacted with their, you know, and subsequent deployments, many, 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 many more deployments post when I was there, you know, I'll let them tell their stories and hopefully they, maybe they're on like the 60, 40 rule by the time we got out of there. So, <laughs> yeah 70 30 <laughs> instead of 51 49 first of all i'll say thank you for sharing and uh opening up and your thoughts uh i could relate to a lot of what you said and um even today by you saying these things i think it's made a couple of things more clear for me because uh you've made some insightful observations that i haven't thought of in 5149 is probably the best we can do in a combat situation, you know, because especially in some in a situation like Iraq, because it was just so ambiguous from the mission, from who's a combatant, from uh, what was our role on the ground. You know, there's just so, so much ambiguity there. Like, 5149 is probably a winning uh, a winning score, right? You know, the main reason I bring up the the 49, 51% is that for me, that was a big, you know, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a revelation, but it actually is in the fact that, you know, we were raised, you know, up to that point in the, in the military to think, uh, or at least, you know, naively as a, as a 20 something year old, that, you know, there's just good and bad and, and you're either, you know, you're winning or you, or you lose. And, you know, it's, it's kind of all or nothing. And, and we mentioned this a couple of times, you come to an ambiguous environment and you don't know if what you're doing is actually having a positive effect or, or a negative effect. And you have no control over the broader kind of political environment and the broader strategy. Uh, and if, if what you're doing is actually helping or hurting. And so, you know, it, you actually have to give yourself a little bit of grace because also you're going to make some mistakes. And I think that the, the 5149 gives you that grace in that, you know, if you make a couple of mistakes, you do some things, you, 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 you know, you crush some poor innocent family's car, like I mentioned, or, you know, you go into some people's homes and you, and you're, you're searching for, you know, a high value target and it's the wrong home or the, you know, and you're disrupting these families and you're kind of traumatizing these families by coming in the middle of the night. Uh, you're obviously not, you know, a hundred percent adding value to, to the environment and you're never going to get back to a hundred percent good. Uh, and if that's your goal is to say, I really want to, you know, take this experience and look through it the lens and say, hey, we, you know, everything we did over there was great and sugarcoat it. You can't have an honest conversation. So I think that the, you know, to, just to build on what you're saying, Patty, I think that I was very blessed that I did come out of there thinking that we, we did more good than bad, but it took a lot of thought 
around, you know, my experience there. But also when you're, when you're in that environment on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not as daunting to think, okay, I just got to get back to 51. <laughs> I don't have to be, I don't have to be perfect. I can give myself some grace. I just got to get back to 51. What's harder is, is, you know, and, and I think that a lot of people struggle with this is that you know, it's kind of like the, the last football game you play as a senior in high school when you know you're not going to go play college football or the last the last time you, 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 you kind of get to compete in something and you can't go back and take the lessons that you learned from that last game and apply them in the next one. Um, the harder thing is for folks, I think, that come home and they, they you know, and we're getting to that point now as we're winding down these wars is that, you know, I would love to go back and, and you know, have another hack at it and try to do a better job and learn the lessons. And I think that, you know, the, the blessing of folks that got, you know, longer military career than me is that they got multiple deployments and they got to apply lessons learned and to, 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 to take that self-critique that's part of how we all kind of look at these experiences and say, oh, man, I wish I had done this differently or that differently. I wish I had known this and actually apply it. It's harder when you're looking back and you say, oh, man, we didn't quite get to 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 51 percent we didn't quite do good but i now knowing what i know now we could do a better job and not having that that ability i think that's another place where or you got to give yourself some grace and say you know what uh, i did the best that i could i was pushing in the right direction and and uh, you know you know allow yourself to have made some mistakes and to give yourself some credit for for trying to do the right thing even though you know it didn't always manifest in the results that you might have wanted if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, that's a, I think a, a good way of looking at it and certainly very insightful. I, um, yeah, I mean, just as you were, as you were saying that I was thinking about, you know, I only had one deployment and certainly the, the limited window of that makes you just dwell on that time and reflect on it a lot. And, you know, it was like the only, you think of it as like the only opportunity to do these things and yeah, and and like for me myself, I'm sure a lot of people, yeah, you didn't, I didn't have the opportunity to to go back and apply those lessons learned and take another shot at things to try to do a better job. So yeah, I, I can imagine a lot of people probably feel very similarly. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great way to look at it too, and a good way to sort of come to terms with with our experiences. Well, guys, I really appreciate the time and, and let me tell my, my, you know, my anecdotes here. Uh, I could go on. Many people could, but, you know, we'll just have to follow it up over, over a beer sometime. Yes, that would be wonderful. And I'm incredibly grateful for you taking the time and, and for trusting us in this process. I really enjoyed listening to your story. Yeah, so thank you so much for, for coming on here and, uh, and, and being a guest. Yeah, uh, again, uh, great stuff, uh, really good thoughts, and uh, I think uh, the takeaway message is, is really quite positive, which is uh, uh, good to hear. So thank you very much. Hey, guys. Uh, take care. Good luck. Right. And uh, I'll, I'll keep spreading the word about what you're doing in my circles. And, and hopefully uh, people keep coming on and, and, and sharing powerful stories. And, you know, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What We Brought Home. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe or follow us wherever you find your podcasts. Like we said at the top of the show, if what you've heard here reminds you of one of your own experiences and you want to tell your story, let us know. We're always looking to talk to fellow veterans. 
All stories are shared anonymously. Go ahead and visit our website, whatwebrought.com, to learn more. Thanks again for listening.